1: to Collections by Michelle Brown. I'm your host, Michelle Brown. Each week, we'll be talking with people living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality, and creating change. Today, I'm talking with the Executive Director of Freedom House, Deb Drennan. During this holiday season, we often reflect upon the Holy Family at Bethlehem. They were poor and affected by various political realities, just as many around the world are today. Joseph and Mary had to leave their home in Nazareth and journey to Bethlehem to escape persecution and possible death, had they stayed in Nazareth. There, in a poor stable, Mary gave birth to her child. Today, many of us live safely in comfortable homes. We have in some cases forgotten the perilous journey some of our ancestors took to escape poverty, violence, and persecution to come to this country in hopes of a better life for themselves and their families. But it's hardly a time of cozy peace and joy for those still seeking a better life, freedom from persecution, or violence by coming to America as immigrants or seeking asylum today. Freedom House is a temporary home for survivors of persecution from around the world seeking asylum in the United States and Canada. Its mission is to uphold a fundamental American principle, one inscribed on the base of the Statue of Liberty, providing safety for those yearning to breathe free. At a time when many are hearing the echo of no room in the inn. Freedom House offers compassion and assistance to those suffering and seeking asylum. Deb Drennan joined the agency in 2006 as program director and has been executive director since 2009. She has more than 30 years nonprofit experience. Prior to joining Freedom House, she worked with Women Arise and the Coalition on Temporary Shelter in detroit deb welcome to collections by michelle brown how are you today
2: i'm doing wonderfully um i really am i i work with the best of people and i'm around good people i'm one of those um, individuals just really fortunate to be surrounded by support both my family and friends but um, then the organization and when you run an organization and you have so many volunteers helping keep it up you know um Mm -hmm. it's just it's amazing so it's hard to have a rough day when um, around so many people who want to see good things for others I think is the best way to Mm
3: -hmm. now is Detroit your original home
2: Uh, yes and no so I have always (laughs) worked in Detroit I have never worked outside of Detroit, but um, I moved outside of Detroit uh, 20 years ago. This is actually my, my 20th anniversary of signing my mortgage. <laughs> mm-hmm. But um, so, yeah, but I've always worked in Detroit and loved Detroit. But um, moving around earlier days to be close to my family who needed me, my mother was uh, had a, a rough uh, end-of-time life, and so I wanted to be closer to her. So um, yeah, moved out. And so, but I, I'm always back to Detroit every day. Well, you know, I mean that that's that's really
3: a lot of me because like, like uh, right, I've always lived in Detroit until like the last relative. I went to a period of taking care of things, and that's how it was. The last time, you know, it was just like I need to be close to her as she that's goes right. through this this mm-hmm. this final journey and you know and then once you you know it's like okay well now we'll figure it out and now i always lived in midtown and you know back when it was the cast quarter you know and yeah now, the cast quarter I mean, yeah. yeah and now it's sort of like well priced
2: out you know Mm-hmm. Yeah. it is what, interesting what? i i mm-hmm. did live at um six malin davison a number of years mm-hmm. ago and um Six Mile Davison, Mound Road. It was right after you know. Well, they were building the, the prison there, and it really was. Mm-hmm. Uh, it had a lot of potential for some activity, but it just wasn't in Detroit's plan. And then, so um, me and many others like me had to relocate. What's the biggest
3: difference you see as you drive in each day from you know from the outside coming coming in? What's the biggest change that you're seeing? Yeah, each day?
2: Oh, you know, you can just really see where the economy changes. I mean, Mm -hmm. you know, um, if you were driving Alter Road, right? So if you look um, on one side of the road, it's just very prim and clean, and although Jefferson Chalmers is doing a great job, so I can't really Mm -hmm. cite this as much, but but you can clearly tell on the other side of the the highway, the road, that there isn't as much uh, income, and there aren't the tax base there to help clean it up. I, I just—it's—it's it's amazing how um, I, I the decay of some of our historic buildings and how we just don't respect them. So you're driving mm-hmm. and you see, oh my gosh, this used to be a great assembly plant where my family and many other families migrated here so they could work at these great places, and you know, they don't serve a purpose. So I, I see that. That's really the difference. Um, But then on the other hand, when you get into the city, you see lots of mature trees and, um, you know, a different type of um, growth that's happening. And so you just uh, love them both, but for different reasons, you know. Yeah,
3: you know, because I often tell people, in fact, I was talking to someone who had lived here a long time ago, and I said, you know, sometimes there's some areas that I go into that I remember one way. And it has changed so that you know I'm uh-huh. like, whoa where am I? Right. I you know,
2: well, that I happens to me driving by Tiger Stadium. I, I now know. that that building is up, I'm, I'm where am I? I actually got disoriented recently, saying I, I couldn't figure out. But thank goodness for machines because I could look over and see. Oh no, I'm at that corner. That area has has been a a great change, and, and you know, Court Town, but. So, you know, the other thing I noticed, though, is that in Detroit, there are more people waiting for buses and and needing to take buses. Um, Up where I live, smart is common, um, Mm -hmm. and there's parking share, and, you know, and and people drive into the, the Detroit area using the smart buses. But I'm intrigued by the number of people and the high cost and the waiting that goes on with DOT. Um, you know, after I drive a certain while and you see the same people on days when, you know, just the other day it was so cold in the morning, it was nine degrees or something, and I see the same person at the same corner waiting for the bus, and I just hollered, hey, you know what, I'm going down into the city, are you? And that was it, we became fast friends, and now mm-hmm. when he's out there and I'm, I'm driving by, I, I don't mind stopping, and, you know, you got to be careful, of course, but um, yeah, uh, the endurance of just waiting and waiting and waiting for transportation is just very different in, in, when I get into the city you know yeah uh, i it know
3: is, it's fun. you know how, you, yeah. how but, but but part of that is detroit you know what i mean mm-hmm. you know people looking out for each other and yep. you worry about losing that
2: i i agree with you i there is there is a heart here i'll never like and that's maybe why i work here um detroit is is just really a, a let's do it city and i think being careful here and we might need to edit this out but um the 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 cultural shift that's happened here you know i don't want to lose the city to good intended people who don't understand the culture um Mm -hmm. don't understand the history and who really built the city right so Mm -hmm. that's a shift that um and when you come to detroit and you see the diversity of folks it's Gosh, it's life-giving, you know, with all its problems and pain and mm-hmm. lack of money and resources. But um, the diversity of Detroit is what I find just splendid. Um, meeting people, talking to people, going out to eat, getting a cup of coffee, going for a walk. You're, you're bound to find, you know, just so many people from so many different regions around the world. I, I love that. And that is well, not you know, common in other places.
3: Mm-hmm. Well, you know, one of the things, too, that, that you know, I lament when I go to, you know, now Midtown, which was Cass Quarter, because even though, I mean, there were all kinds of people. And often, you know, I lived r- near Old Wayne. I would could walk. I'd walk to Avalon Breads. There'd be people, even some street people who uh, were colorful, yep. but mm-hmm. you knew them. They knew you. You know, and you'd stop places and you'd meet different people to talk to. And to where now, the last time I was there, I didn't have that feel. I didn't have, you know, yeah. There, yeah. it was just like too, too, I don't know.
2: I, I, <laughs> starchy. Starchy. Yes, yeah, that and starchy. I have mm-hmm. to say, you, when you went to Avalon, you never know who you're going to run into. Exactly. Um, I remember Ike McKinnon was in there one time and I, you know, and I was like, uh, 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 who are you? And, um, uh, Oh, city council, Oh, uh, Cockrell, Sheila Cockrell was in there one day. Mm-hmm. And, and then, you know, and, and just looking around going, Oh my gosh, everybody. And it didn't matter that I was little Deb Drennan who didn't know him if, it, you know, cause that place was small, right? You couldn't just, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, and it was like, come on, we'll, we'll, we'll all squeeze together. And I'll never forget that. Like, I'm a nobody. You are all these important people, but you know what? We're all just talking about stuff. And I agree with you. That was the best environment. I, I still have the same great food, but the ambiance is a bit changed. Yeah, but yeah. I love it. Well, and they're very supportive of Freedom House, so mm-hmm. um, I have to stay. Well, I, I've known. I
3: knew them before they started it, and you wonder if that could happen. Because I was telling somebody once, I said, "You know." how they started that and they did bread dollars. And Mm. where in that area now could you start and get people to invest with you for the promise of getting a loaf of bread for however long, you know, and to to make it do that. So, I mean, I guess it was like a special time. But, you Mm -hmm. know, Detroit goes through things, and that's just like, that's what makes you, you love it, you know.
2: Yes. You know, that I used to work uh, for Cots, and they mm-hmm. have what uh, Peggy's Place, which is on Wyoming, and they had just bought it, and it was a transitional housing program when I worked there, and I was driving my uncle, who was in from Florida, and he said, oh, one of your great aunts used to live here when she was a Carmelite nun. And mm-hmm. I oh, my goodness, you know, what? A, mm-hmm. how lovely to think that I could be walking the hallways. And then I get, in, I, I take a job over here at Freedom House, and I am right in the, the neighborhood where I found a deed, where my great-grandfather purchased a house, a big lot of land, and built a house, you know, mm-hmm. a couple streets over. And I think, my gosh, I'm right back to where it all started for Isn't my family amazing? when they came from Ireland. And I... It, mm-hmm it makes me proud it makes me mm-hmm. sometimes i know it sounds silly but emotional to think that i'm 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 here i'm right where they wanted to start of course they all mm-hmm. you know worked for the auto industry and did labor and worked in the firehouses but um i mean it's just amazing to me yeah it, we we do come we do come full circle no mm-hmm. and you know and especially i mean for you i mean
3: you're working and you're living down there and you talk about how your family came. And we know that that's also the history of Detroit. There are many people who even like got off the boat on Ellis Island, hopped to train and came to Detroit. You know, they Mm -hmm. came for jobs. They came for that future. They came for those opportunities. They came to start a new life. And I mean, so I can see how you would feel. Wow. You know, it's almost like, it was
2: in your DNA to end up back there. Yes, yes. And I, I just so feel emotionally connected to those people. I'm living their dream, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm living their dream, and, and that is an honor and a privilege that you just can't take advantage of. Mm-hmm. I'd love that.
3: Now, I, I know that you worked at COTS. You know, COTS was my mother's favorite charity. In fact, when she uh-huh. passed, we have people donate to cots because like Mm -hmm. she just sort of believes about that and being able to to help and if you know women particularly you know she's about helping women get back on their feet it's so hard for for women you also were for women arise what Mm -hmm. makes you you know that that part of helping and being a part of lifting up women did did that come from like in your family did
2: you have strong women in your family who you know helped you believe you could do anything i did but growing up i didn't realize it so mm-hmm. when i grew up you know and i i was oh geez you know all the men are in the tv room watching the football game <laughs> Why don't they wash washing the dishes right that's with me uh-huh, they can uh-huh. help the work And this is my mother and my grandmother and great-aunts. I had many great-aunts. And they would be, oh, honey, be quiet, 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 quiet. This is where we all talk. I I didn't understand that at first. And then I Mm. sat around the table. And it was amazing because that's where they would sit and talk about their worries about struggling with someone's drinking or their children's well-being or um, just I remember my first menstrual cycle and, and they poured me a glass of really small sip of wine, you know, and toasted it like this is this is really something. It wasn't about being a woman, but it was about mm-hmm. unchanging and we're celebrating that with you. And um, and then there was always a talk about the teacup money. And I never, so there was in anybody's house, whether it be, uh, you know, grandmother's witch dance, wherever we went, there was always a teacup and in that teacup was the was extra money oh we did hmm. you know there were some sales or we used the stamps when we went um but I learned it was what they were so when I needed my first pair of you know go-go boots and you know <laughs> uh, there were too many in our family for my parents to will mm-hmm. buy each of us go-go boots but that teacup there were the go-go boots um or, you know, my brother wanted to be you know, be in a swimming team and just the costs of all of that. And there was the teacup money to help my brother do and that was only my family. I doesn't talk mm-hmm. about all the other cousins, you know. And mm-hmm. I learned about, you know, women and how brilliant we are in really our own economy. And I learned something um as I was growing up, that you keep the economy to yourself. You work within yourself. So If if we had it, there was no shame in giving it. It wasn't lending. We weren't saying, well, here, take this $20 and go buy the go-go boots. It was, here, this is for you. And it wasn't a vote. We didn't sit around and determine who needed it the most because the teacup money was for things that were going to make a difference for the kids now in my age, I'm ashamed that my go-go boots were taken from the teacup money. But you know how important it was to have those back in that day. So, um, so that was, and then learning about, talking about, I realized that these women had opinions when they were with the men. They didn't always get to share them. Culturally, that wasn't really a proper thing for a woman to do. But when we were in that kitchen washing dishes or putting things away or just all of the different things I learned. Um, being resourceful, you know just being resourceful internally as well as financially um, emotionally and so I think as I grew up and I recognized wow these these people now let me tell you we had some good arguments too, you know there were some really <laughs> good really good Irish arguing, um, but in the end we all we all come back together, so I think that 's what made it for me. And then as I got older and stronger, I I was thinking, no, this is, I just knew my place was in the women's world. And uh, so then when I applied for a job, it was a blind ad, frankly, at Women Arise, and I went in and interviewed, and it was a match. And um, at the time, I didn't think I'd ever find a better job. It was fabulous. We worked with women uh, back in the uh, 88, I think it was, then Governor Blanchard signed into law the Community Corrections Act. So we became, Women Arise became one of the first projects for women who were um, non-violent offenses, you know, women committed economic crimes. And mm-hmm. so we were a, a sort of a day program, and we offered adult ed, uh, cognitive skills, uh, uh, ABE for women, um, for women that needed it and a myriad of other things. I can't recall right now, but the day was very busy. And then um, we started working as uh, working with what we called then day parolees. So then, in addition mm-hmm. to women who were specialized parole to us, people in Wayne County Dickerson at the time were sent to us for a day parole, so they'd come for the same services, but only um, paroled. And so the van would bring them and we'd spend the day and then the van would take them home. And you'd just sit and we'd watch and talk with these women because it was women um, staffed. Not, I mean, it was – and and so we'd, we'd sit back in these conversation circles. All Everything we did were – And you'd hear their stories and you'd hear um, how strong they really were. And by no mm-hmm. fault of their own, honestly, by no fault of their own, except naivety, did they get into the dilemmas they did? And so, here, put this in your trunk. I have to go somewhere. Will you take this to so-and-so? And And it's, Mm -hmm. you know, a kilo of something. Or, um, you know, at the airport, put this in. And when you, you know, love somebody, you you do things for people, right? Or, you know, you make the choice of, um, you know, somebody comes in and lives with you because they help pay the rent. They leave. And then what do you do? You don't have food. To feed your kids, and so you know, you steal a, a loaf of bread and some meat spread and things like that. And you just you hear how brilliant these women were and where they could have gone. And then that that level of, um, a drug substance abuse would creep in, you know, and just mm-hmm. uh, they would they would take it, um, they would become addicted and then, you know, they were they were gone from us. I mean we offered substance abuse treatment, but many of them needed more intense than outpatient. So and you just see how quickly, how quickly it 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 changed. And I think what was also equally struggling, which I don't think the statistics have changed very much, but you know, eighty percent of the women that we serviced were African American some Latino, mm-hmm. but not not so mm-hmm. much Latina. I think most of African-American. And yet they were 20% of the crimes that were committed. So you could see in, internally in the system that, you know, that was one uh, area that was clearly, uh, without a doubt, I could count on my hand a very small percentage of white women who, ever, who had to come through our program. They had other supports. They had... Um, you know, it didn't always work. And many at that time, we would call them victims of human trafficking. We mm-hmm. didn't have that term back then. But now looking back and reviewing some of the cases. So working there, I was empowered by them. Again, you know, their stories, they taught me who not to be. They taught me how to be real and honest and, and um and they're just, and they be, you know, they become friends almost. I mean, they're clients, mm-hmm. let's, let's be mm-hmm. clear. But I'd sit there and i think, you know, if I met you at someone's birthday party, I'd probably think, you know, hey, well, you, you could be part of our circle anytime. Or, hey, mm-hmm. you know what, you're so good with kids. I wonder if we couldn't bring you in to do daycare. It's just, you look beyond all that other stuff that society puts on them and, And they're just brilliant women. But at the end of the day, they would go back to their homes of poverty and slum landlords and Mm -hmm. struggle and struggle and then – or back to jail. But I do do want to say that there were many successes from that because – um they they recognized it they they weren't mm-hmm. when you came to women arise it was it wasn't like anything else we didn't refer to you by names you had a first name or you had whatever name you wanted to be called we didn't we didn't shout out numbers we didn't hey you it, it was just the mm-hmm. courtesy of being a human and being in a, with a group of women. And that startled them sometimes because had, that had never been common for them, right? Nobody was ever that. So I worked with a great team, uh, Kathleen Schultz and IHM. She was the director at the time, and that was her value, and that's how she brought value to staff and to the program. And so another strong woman who helped me see how important it was to put my arms around it and not just choose something else so from the teapot to the you know
3: and, and you know and I know what you mean because you know for a while I had worked with I had worked with the cast, um, cast community social services and it seems like there were more that there, there needed to be a switch because I think that uh, of thinking because there would be you know there'd be access for things for men Mm -hmm. And here are these women with their children trying to figure it out, how to do it. And like you said, when you see uh, some of them, like how committed they were to trying to keep their families together, keeping their kids together and having very few resources, you know. And I know
2: a lack of of child support. No one was pushing mm -hmm. the men to be financially responsible. That wasn't Mm -hmm. happening back then, right? And so Mm -hmm. all left on the woman. Yep. And, you know, and I know that, um, and even watching
3: with um, Reverend Fowler over there, it was a while they had, you know, like to have beds for men but and to develop to where they had more access and resources for women to sort of help them get their get that strength, get that, we get that confidence in themselves and to be mm-hmm. able to to step away from that. Often we know that women end up going back into bad situations because, they don't have access to, you said, child right. care, you know, fair wages. And, you know, I mean, we are still under the eight ball, but we also need women who have those things, how about that teacup? I
2: mean, you know, that's something, mm-hmm. that's what family's about, you know. That's I agree, I agree. Does. You know, I think about how many guys can go get a barber, a, you know, barber, let's be clear, barbers, many of them are so generous to the homeless Mm -hmm. community or the struggling and many of them are and but if you were if you are a woman and you want to get your hair done Mm -hmm. well that's not quite the same because that's a lot more expensive right I mean Mm -hmm. if you want to go and shave it all off or get just some kind of a haircut that isn't really your personality or style or feminine as you'd want it Mm -hmm. then where do you go for that right and so just to be able to say there are places that will welcome women and give them free you know a couple hours worth of hair care so that they can mm-hmm. right get that job i mean it makes a difference um mm-hmm. and and we we've been fortunate in every job i've ever worked where people come in and do facials and do you know manicures and oh my goodness how someone can change just by by feeling like they they look good and so they're worthy of something, which is a whole other <laughs> issue of society. But nonetheless, oh, yeah. I understand. Yeah, I understand mm-hmm. it, and um, it makes a huge difference. So there are mm-hmm. many many givers out there, um, mm-hmm. and if anybody thinks about that, you know, if we could help.
3: Mm-hmm. Well, Deb, we're going to take our first break here, and when we come back, I want to talk a little bit about specifically Freedom House. So we'll okay. be right back. <laughs> back here on Collections by Michelle Brown, and I'm talking with Deb Drennan, um, who's with Freedom House. You know, for those who don't know, what is Freedom House?
2: Well, um, I'd say the best place in the world. We have one of our residents many years ago wrote a little anthem, and one of the lines is, the best place in the world. So we are uh, um, housing and legal aid services for asylum seekers, and this year with a grant through the Flynn Foundation we're also able to provide on-site counseling. So um, asylum seekers uh, come to the United States to uh, seek asylum and there are two ways if you would to do that and I think in the news media we're hearing more about one than the other but uh, first and foremost it is legal to apply for asylum when you're in the United States. So there are some people who come they Um, the definition of asylum so uh, one has uh, this is kind of the key word a well-founded fear of persecution Mm -hmm. they have to flee their country and they're being persecuted and their government cannot or will not protect them and let's just know Mexico right now right so in Mexico Mm -hmm. their government can't even protect themselves so If someone were fleeing uh, when we think of gang violence what we think of here right but it's not the same thing gang violence in Mexico is actually the government the political parties that are so um, because of either your political opinion your nationality or race your religious expression or practice, and then also there's a subgroup, and the subgroup is um, often, for at Freedom House, we work with the SOGI community, sexual orientation, gender identity, Mm -hmm. and expression. So that's one of the categories under the other. And then there's other subgroups that could fall under that category. Um, For instance, we had a resident who was a photojournalist, and he really wasn't uh, doing it for religious reasons or political. This was his passion, and Um, when the government found out they wanted him to stop and he he didn't and you know in this day and age everything gets on the internet it gets exposed so they went after him and tortured him and he had to flee the country came to the United States and was granted asylum so um, it's not an easy process by any means and I don't mean Mm to make it sound like it went that one two three but just to Mm -hmm. give you an idea of some of the categories that people um, that the you know the legalities so um, at Freedom House, if someone, when someone's coming in, and let's say they came in through the southern border, the, the places where we're hearing such horrible things, and our experience for sure in welcoming asylum seekers is none of those people, um, it, it, that's not who's seeking asylum. So we know Mm -hmm. that we have a problem with uh, cartel. There's a huge problem in Mexico in particular. I have family that lives um, right in the border in Texas, and they're telling horror stories. But these aren't the folks that are walking thousands of miles across deserts and sands just to seek safety. So these folks come, and then what happens is, as they enter the United States, they're being detained. And detained is an immigration word for jailed. Mm-hmm. So they're they are in jail, and um, if they can get a lawyer, then in some cases they're uh, they might end up one of the fortunate ones who can get to a shelter, into uh, in the southern border, or I'm speaking of the southern border because it's the most popular right now,
0: mm-hmm. but
2: anywhere there's an access point, and um, and so some of those shelters will provide some services, but what they don't provide is the full scope of service that Freedom House provides. So some of the referrals will come to us um, or people find us by word of mouth. Um, we've helped family members before. We've helped people from the same political party who's fled. Our lawyers are excellent um, in legal conditions uh, and country conditions so they know um, particularly where the, a successful asylum uh, applicant whether they're telling the truth or not. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, it's really a um, a precise political
0: process.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: So, how did you um, come? How did you come to 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 work at how, Freedom House?
2: It, it was all. Um, uh, uh, <laughs> we had a board member at Women Arise who came to me and said, "You know, Freedom House is looking for a case manager, and they're hoping that the person could speak French or and Spanish." And I said, ah, "I don't speak either language," <laughs> and you know, I was. I was happy at Women Rise. Remember, I love that job. So mm-hmm. then they're like, well, he came back another time. And finally, like three times later, he came back. And I said, there's something here that they keep bugging me. So um, finally on the fourth try, I came over. And I learned that what I had just kind of reprogrammed and done some work for uh, Women Arise was exactly what they wanted me to do here and so I had the experience. it worked, the grants, you know we got grants for it. so okay, I, I caught on, and I said, "But I still don't speak French or Spanish, and they were like, "Oh, we can work around that." And so I uh, accepted the job, and uh, so, in two thousand and six, I came on board. And um, it's been wonderful. So I, I started as a case manager, and I hadn't been a case manager in a long time. And I was so excited, you know, doing the hands-on stuff again. And, um, and then, oh, about four, five months later, my supervisor resigned. She actually uh, completed her uh, master's so she could do psychology, I think it was. And so she left, and then, oh, guess what? You got a promotion. So now I'm a program coordinator. Back to the data um mm-hmm. and then um a year later the ceo or the executive director at the time had to resign for a uh, personal emergency and i was served as the interim director and then after a nationwide search i was honored um and felt obviously very capable of taking the helm as the ceo and here i am so i i can't <laughs> i can't tell you you know the path is just as is crooked as the mm-hmm. people who come here so um <laughs> <laughs> but but I've loved every minute of it. It's it's been wonderful.
3: Well, you know, I mean, I, I think that many people get get confused, like about there are some people who Im- want to immigrate here, and often it's for economic reasons. But there are those people who need asylum, and I know that I first became aware of Freedom House. I mean, I was working with this program come Detroit, called Detroit Summer, and one time we took kids over there to to volunteer to help. But then I went to a fundraiser that they had at the Trumbull Plex, and actually I bid on a picture, which I still have on my wall, um, <laughs> and it was like, it was for someone who was here who also wanted to to bring their family. They were from Africa, and they talked about what they went through, and... Um, you often like what people are going through with asylum i mean it's just not like oh i just want to come to the united states you know they are being persecuted i i was um i met some people in chicago and literally uh this guy he was i forget which country he was from in africa and it was like he just had to up and leave because he happened to be gay but he said that he if his family didn't turn him in when he was, he knew he was going to be out, that they could go to to prison. And so he That's literally correct. one day, yep. like going to work, got what he could and escaped. And, you know, when you stop and you think about that, I mean, you know, not only he couldn't contact his mother, because, even to let her know that he was all right, because any contact would put her in death. So, I mean, these are very serious situations. And I think that sometimes that rhetoric, like, Oh, we're coming to take our jobs or this and that. You miss Uh the fact that there's a whole lot of places in the world where people are persecuted because of their religion, because of their Mm -hmm. sexual orientation. I mean, and people miss that. They miss that part.
2: Yes, they, they do. And I, And I really do, if there's anything that we can accomplish in this conversation tonight, it is to say that folks are not coming and taking our jobs and they're not the bad guys I, I give a lot of talks at schools and I always ask um, college levels but mostly high school middle school and I always ask so who no right or wrong answer who thinks people coming in through the southern border is good or bad and always there's a few hands for they think it's bad and we ask why and then we and then in the end I ask them, so do you understand better? I mean it's okay to say, keep your answer. I'm not gonna talk you in out of an opinion. But mm-hmm. and but when they do realize and get the facts, they they understand better. Now what their conversations are like at the dinner table I don't know, but um because mostly it's their parents who are helping them make decisions, right? And that's who I was. Mm-hmm. But I adored my father, so um, you know, mm-hmm. I, I would vote whatever. But um so I think that is a, a challenge. And really, up until just a few years ago, the majority of the country didn't even know who an asylum seeker was. I mean, it had been a, an immigration, um, under the immigration laws for you know years, and people just didn't know. But when you meet someone one-on-one, you're in a restaurant, there's an olive garden, I think on Roseville, I believe it is, and there's a young man, and he's from Ethiopia. And because I am in this environment, I pick up accents very quickly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So and he and he's so beautiful. And I said, "Oh, you you must be from East Africa." And you know, he's like, "Uh." Oh. I said, I, "I'm going to guess Ethiopia." And he was just he lit up. And I said, "Oh, I work at Freedom House. That's why I know." He goes, "Oh, Freedom House! Oh, you helped me! Oh!" And yeah. he loves he loves his job. He's been there many years. The management loved him. And he said, "You know, it started just so I can get my family here." He said, "But." They're good to me here, and, and um, I work here. Another time, I went and I bought a car over at um, oh, Maddox Chevrolet. And mm-hmm. I out of the blue, right, I walk in and I meet this guy, Sam. And I look at Sam, and yeah, he looks a little Middle Eastern, and I'm going, I chuckle to myself, right? Well, he was an asylee. He escaped Iraq <laughs> mm-hmm. in a boat and I'm just Mm -hmm. like how do these things happen you know we don't know to ask and of course it's not something you would ask but because this is what I do every day and so I was just I was just amazed to hear his story of how he came and how he what he had to do to get his family here and he served in the military so -hmm. how do you like that right you know so Mm -hmm. it's just so amazing to me how um how we meet people. And, I, and if someone's house is, being, is on fire, right, a neighbor's house is on fire and they come pounding to your, you know, if they hop the fence, they're behind you, and they come pounding on the, the door, you're not going to tell them they came through the wrong door or you know what, you know, you didn't, of course you let them in. It's an emergency. They're in crisis, everything they own. And, and yet I think people forget that's exactly what's happening. They've had to flee. Mm-hmm. And, and your story is too typical. Many families, many families are themselves guilty of association, of knowing. Can you imagine that? If you have a, a son or a daughter who's who's gay or lesbian or tra- transgender, oh my gosh, and you don't tell anyone? And so these kids, these folks live their life on the street, many of them, um, and, and vulnerable, just like here in the United States, mm-hmm. become vulnerable because no one's mentoring you no one's giving you your parents you know, t- some, many times are sobbing but it's the whole family that that becomes incarcerated and they too become beaten so I, I often tell residents when they tell me these stories they say you know I'm sorry you were the victim but in many times I really believe parents just let the one kid out of the house to save the whole family it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's really Sophie's choice which one am I going to pick it's a horrible place they're in so I I don't understand or, or people who human rights, you know, uh, politically or they, they, they put their life on the line literally for democracy, mm-hmm. to right for mm-hmm. fair votes and justice or to speak from a pulpit and say this murdering is awful. The Hutus and the Tutsis, the, the, this whole battle mm-hmm. continues and to say, I mean, people change their names. Because if I had a name that resembled one ethnicity, one ethnic tribe or the other, I'm still still going to go after me. So people have to make up a name. I carry my family name Drennan proudly. I love my name. Mm -hmm. And yet, if I can't imagine being in a situation I had to flee, and because they could associate it with a little Celtic background or Irish background, I'd have to change it. That's what people do all the time. It's, it's just unbelievable. And the types of persecution and torture. I mean, people go to the movies and watch extraordinary things that people do. to the. They love the violence. They love the shooting. Mm-hmm. They, I, don't, I don't understand that, but they do. And even that is not anything close to the type of torture and in, inhumanity that happens to these people who are standing up against their government forces. And that's the part. So when they come here and we're working with them and building their their case, their application, the affidavit, their story is prim- is the guts of the of the whole application and a medical exam to support. Yes, this form of to- this scar does resemble a electrocution or does resemble um whatever god-awful tools they use. Pla- melting plastic bags on your back or your genitals. This mm. is the type of, of torture, right? And and so when they have a medical exam, an affidavit that, uh, that r- supports their claim, and then the mental health, the PTSD, the trauma they've endured, the fear, knowing their families back home in harm's way. If your kids aren't in school in some regions of Africa, the soldiers kidnap them, drug mm-hmm. them, and then they become soldiers. And they're the te- first thing, she have got to go in and rape and shoot your mother. I mean, this is what they're fleeing. And if they don't leave, then they themselves and their families are in harm's way. And it just doesn't make sense. So when we welcome them here, we're, we're welcoming people I mean, what kind of neighbor would you prefer to have? Someone who says, eh, I don't care, let, let, what's going to happen, let happen. Mm-hmm. Or someone who says, no, oh, I want to build my community. I think we need to, let's tighten up on this PTO so that our kids do have crosswalks you know the cars are going back too fast up and down the street what can we do to protect them um you know those kinds of um we need we need some physical activity i'll be a soccer coach i'll be a football you know that's what they bring into the community mm-hmm. because that's what they want and then they have the that the the skills and the the parenting and the tools they've been using back home, but we're forced to stop. Um, and right now at Freedom House, we have two—well, two doctors. One's a surgeon. We have lawyers. We have human rights activists. We have—we um, have a librarian. We have. I mean, it's mm. just amazing the, the brilliance these people bring. And they're just itching. What can I do? What can I get back? So, you know, you have the librarian organizing things electronically for us. Then, you know, just the, when the doctors, when something happens or one of the kids falls and bumps the head, yeah, oh, they're all right. No, this one needs to go to um, urgent care. I mean, it's, it, it's amazing. Yeah. And yet, and then because they have to flee, they have nothing. Mm-hmm. So the other day I was talking to a group of kids and I said, "So, how many of you have a beautiful piece of jewelry, a watch, something, earrings that your, you know, loved ones gave you?" Everybody raises their hand, right? And I said, "Now you're going to have to take them off and leave them behind and never wear them again." Mm-hmm. Or how many of you like steak and and uh, fish? Or how many of you like beef? You know, just oh no, can't ever have it again because you know you're going to a country where that's a weird food. But instead, you're going to go home and eat. You know, so it It strips their whole culture, their food, their music, their art, everything is gone, but thanks to Freedom House they can we can maintain that here, right So mm-hmm. what is it that you like to eat now? We can't afford to feed um you know beef and goats and um, certain fish. It's just not in our budget, but former residents bring it in, we have it during high you know these like christmas we'll have. Goat for dinner, so people in the community are generous to help donate those things but that's that's something we want to make sure that they enjoy and they they have um fufu and um cassava, all these wonderful dishes that they can prepare and and then you've got a group from you know Latin america <laughs> you're like sitting there eating all this and it's just wonderful, and the music that's blended it, it's amazing mm-hmm. so I, I can't i i can't Understand why people are so afraid of that, and you know, is is there a? I mean, I know there are laid off doctors working. I mean, looking for mm-hmm. work, right? Because especially in Detroit, what's happening? But the competition isn't with the doctor that's living here because you know how many years it will take him to become the surgeon. You. You know how many years, he'll mm-hmm. never be able to make it. He'll be lucky to be through the physician assistant program, right? So he's not going to take over any of your jobs. I mean, and many of them are working right now. We have, pe- we have a man who um, managed a log- logistics company. He's over at Ford Field during, you know, events, working the security. I mean, mm-hmm. that's still in your job. So to understand that there's enough for all of us, there really is. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and Michigan. And, the thing, mm-hmm. and, uh, and, and the Michigan. Like, uh, the, the,
3: the go people, ahead. I mean, like you said, I mean, it's like when you were telling them, and it's really, and I remember this guy, I'm so how, what could he put in? And to make that decision, okay, do you take the picture of your mother? Do you take the picture of, of mm-hmm. your best friend? I mean, and to do that, and like you said, you might have had, you might have been a physician in your home country, but when, when you get over here, require you're seeking asylum, you know, you're, you're not doing that. You're changing everything about it. And sometimes, I mean, even we know, anybody who's here can talk about, you know, being able to go to to a relative's house like, at the holidays and and you look forward to that special dish Mm -hmm. that grandma or somebody made and just recognize that not have that. These are things that are. That's a beautiful example, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. You can't put a dollar on that, you know. You can't put a dollar on it. I mean, you know, to just have totally lost it not have that. Mm
2: -hmm. I mean, that Mm -hmm. is just
3: like, I mean, so how do we. you know, I think that it's great that you're in there talking to to, uh, to students and stuff, but do you sometimes get like feel like when you hear them and you say, well, who thinks this, and you hear what they're learning from their parents, do you ever feel like a little discouraged or do you get angry that as a society here that we're thinking that way, mm-hmm. knowing that we're a country based on immigration, that people mm-hmm. always have come here trying to escape Some of these very same
2: things I do I would have to say frustrated um Mm -hmm. because of that thing when I when I look out into the group and the kids you know majority of them will say um, you know my family came out everybody knows where their origins are right Mm -hmm. and why now why now and I, I and I struggle with that that's where I get confused about and what um, and, I, and I have a critique. I think for our, our faith-based communities, of how important they r- really is. Freedom House is supported by many faith-based groups, and and mm-hmm. we couldn't, we just couldn't go on without them. But there are so many others that close the door. And um, I mean, even at, uh, during election time, to say this is who you're going to vote for, and
0: mm-hmm. you look up
2: and you say, why are you voting for someone who's going to close? not just our doors, I mean, we knew those of us who are aligned with social justice and goodness and and open, we don't want open borders, okay, no, Mm -hmm. Freedom House is not, we need need structure, we need a process, Um, it would be a disaster just to say, one of the little, uh, not little, if they're listening, they'd be ashamed, one of the young students said to me, well, I, I just don't understand why they get in line, why don't they just get in line? and people don't realize mm-hmm. that there is no line there is no mm-hmm. line you know mm-hmm. but people think that somehow like was it ellis island we all line up that's the line i mean if you watch brooklyn right when she comes in from ireland and she's in this line um any of the old movies showing what it's like to come into ellis island well mm-hmm. that's just getting into the country we're gonna <laughs> talking about all the other things you have to go to and that's where i think it's just people don't understand and and so it's like well But what do they do in the meantime? There are all these systems and ways, but really, we're not the holdup. The system, the government, the changing rules every day, wondering, you know, trying to Mm -hmm. block people as best they can. I mean, okay, so we have a block and one coming from Muslim countries, you know, certain countries, but now we know they are Muslim countries. And Mm -hmm. now we're suddenly like, oh, but we're going to close off this Mexican border. So if you're from any of the Latin, right, oh, no, Honduras. I mean, to go back to, to Guatemala, forced to apply for asylum there, or forced to go back to Honduras and apply for asylum there, mm-hmm. you'll be murdered. Can you imagine fleeing Cameroon, getting up to Mexico, and then being told, oh, got to go back to Guatemala and, and try there? So, uh, if, uh,
3: and, it, and it's you not like, you know, that and many of them have walked miles yes. upon hundreds of uh, miles to get here so it's not like you know they just sort of drove up like when we're going over the window we just go sort of drive up and go right through you know they have walked with That's whatever right. they could right. carry and then you're going to say well go on back here and you know it's just like it it's just like phenomenal you know the the people don't get it
2: no, they don't. And what I think some people don't understand when we talk about asylum is returning them to their country is really a death sentence. Mm-hmm. I mean, just recently there was the story of the woman who, I mean, it was an hour and a half, she was off the plane and she was murdered. Another person who went back to Honduras was murdered within a day or two. I mean, it's just, it's, that's what happens. And we can't make our decisions based on countries that we like or don't like, yeah, we're afraid of the cartel, but those aren't the people coming to apply for asylum. Mm-hmm. So, and, and, you know, in a place like Freedom House, this is a, we're a small shelter. I mean, we're housing, we have, we have four people to a room, um, a generous space, but it, there's four people to a room. And if someone was up to something that wasn't legal or had any question of the, in their conduct, the rest of the house They'd be be knocking on our door. You need to check Mm -hmm. this one out, you know, Mm -hmm. because they're Mm -hmm. here for safety. So it it, it just, my own family, again, I mentioned from Texas, I struggle with that. Let's go after cartels. And then Mm -hmm. maybe we can free up some of the burden of some of these countries and free up what they go through. I mean, you run for any political party in Mexico and win, you'll be killed within Mm -hmm. days. We've seen it happen. So what what do we do, right? So we blame the people, right? You must be mm-hmm. the ones doing it. And I, I just um that alarms me as a person growing up being raised. Um i I think there's a story all over um social media, but you know, when again, back to the neighborhood where Freedom House is located, my dad Was driving and he was. We were going to visit his one of his great aunts who lived over in military. And I'll never forget this. All of a sudden, this was before seatbelts, so my dad's driving. Don't know what street, but all of a sudden he slams on the brakes, and we all go forward. Right? (laughs) What the heck? Mm -hmm. My dad had was watching a blind man try to cross the street, and people weren't allowing him to. So my dad pulls over, stops the car, gets out of the car, helps his blind person across the street, gets him safely on his way where he's supposed to go, comes back, gets in the car, and all of us kids go back and on our way to Amber's. And I remember as a child thinking, what a noble thing to do. Oh, Dad, I'm really – that was cool, you know? I mean I, – I, that's how I was raised, and my parents. I I, I went to a, it was sad a, a neighbor's funeral. Very, but one of the the kids that we kind of you know I grew up with. He leaned in my ear and he said, "You know, I never thanked your parents before they died for letting me live with them." I'm like, I don't even remember you living with us, right? But <laughs> um, but and that was the way. Oh, you're in trouble. You need something? Come on, mm-hmm. we'll help you. It didn't matter your nationality. It, now, years later, I realize some of them, that we had some gay men in the house. And now I look back, and go, my parents are kind of cool, you know. But mm-hmm. in all of that, mm-hmm. they raised us to do good. They raised us to do good. And not because someone's watching, but because it's the right thing to do. It's and the right thing even do, yeah. even giving out quarters, having a pocket full of quarters, now, my dad at Cas corridor, oh my God, his heart would palpitate, you know, you never told daddy you we were coming down to Creektown or Cas you just didn't tell, him. <laughs> but at the same token, if you had a quarter, you know you, if you you have to give it away right what what do we need so much, and so when I would be working down in that area, and you know, you just walk up on the street, and, you, and again, you, like you said, you know people by name, you know the, the, the ones that are, remember Greek time, Stella. You knew exactly. how to help her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you knew how to help her. Mm-hmm. But there were others where you could just hand over the money and be okay, and friends would be, you know, they're just going to buy drugs. And I go, well, that's on them. But I see somebody in need. I can't just, and what's a quarter? And even now, what's a dollar? I spend more money on Diet Coke than anybody. And if I can't throw in a buck once in a while, right, so I think there's just that look at it's okay. Now, if let me just give a disclaimer. If you don't do this often and you don't know how most people don't um, because there, there could be harm, of course. But, um, you know, it's just I, – I, we we were raised that way, and I think that's part of the women in the kitchen, right? You just take care mm-hmm. of one another, going all the way back to that days in the kitchen. You just, the teacup money, what would be that before except for helping one of us get whatever we needed? And so I think people get immigration and the asylum, and we're just afraid of differences. And oh, yeah. to be in America and not have anybody... Come back and say now. You know, like you probably. I grew up hearing the old country stories because I was alive when my great grandparents were. I mean, they were alive. I was. Alive, I heard. Them. But now we're a generation. Many gen- of us are a generation away, and they don't have great grandma sitting in the telling the stories mm-hmm. or great grandpa talking about building those cars. You know,
0: <laughs> or showing yeah.
2: pictures. You know, and mm-hmm. so we forgot. We just forgot yeah. what they gave up, and or pictures from home. I mean. If people have a privilege to look through, uh, like you said, you know, photo albums and just looking through all of them and saying, "Wow, this is home, this is Italy, or this is, uh, you know, wherever country people are from," and we came here and look now, and they built this restaurant and they built this wonderful empire, and and yet you don't want anybody in, or you're going to be a, an industry that is trafficking and holds all their documents and mm-hmm. denies mm-hmm. them any money. So uh, there's so many ways to think about it, but just welcome. I, I just can't. We need to build up if we want to stay, you know, with the, the beautiful resources that we have. And how mm-hmm. else can we do that besides yeah. what we're doing now? But mm-hmm. Well, we're going
3: to take and our that's next what break. Happens. Okay. We're going to take our next break, and then we're going to get down to... To what people can do, what they need to know, and what they can do about helping Freedom House. So we'll be right back.
0: Collections by Michelle Brown
3: Back Collections by Michelle Brown. You know, Deb, I was thinking about, you know, I remember, too, in that kitchen, like, I can remember, like, with my grandmother, and I remember when she died, like, there was always room for one more. It's like, okay, well, oh, we'll yes, slice, we'll oh. slice the turkey just a little bit thinner so yes. that, you know, so, so-and-so can eat, you know. So, yep. you know, pull up another plate, you know. You can't sit at the grown-up's table because so-and-so has to sit there. And... Mm-hmm. um. And my mother telling stories about, you know, where, well, so-and-so, you know, they just needed a place to stay. So, like, me and my sister would sleep together. So that extra bed would be available for someone while they got it together, you know. And they're they're Mm -hmm. reaching out and doing it. And those are the kind of things that that women do, you know, how Mm -hmm. fixing something, stretching it, how you stretch it and do it. And now it's like you're the mom, (laughs) You've got you've got a lot of kids there um, from all over who are coming with needs, and like uh, to me, it doesn't make sense. I mean, when you see houses that were tearing down, and you know oh. that could be a little TLC, and you've got people coming from countries who have given up everything, and would be a a, a help to that neighborhood, and you know you see these things happening. And, what do you see are the biggest challenges ahead for freedom housing? How can people plug in and mm-hmm. whether there or just in their community to to mm-hmm. to be more welcoming
2: i I think that's where it starts in our community so I think wherever we're at, um, book clubs. In fact, a woman was in a book club and never heard of us, but looked up. They wanted to do something and found Freedom House. So whether you're in a book club or your your churches, synagogues, mosques, wherever wherever we're at, uh, friendship circles to talk um, openly and welcomingly. I think that's so important. And let other people hear you. And and I've always said this just in any, time someone's being derogatory to have a, the courage to stand and say, wait now, you know, let's, let's not go there. Let's not talk that. Well, that joke may be funny, but it really isn't appropriate. Come on. To have the courage to be that person. And sometimes it even means having to leave a party early or saying, I just mm-hmm. really thought they were, you know, so those are first things that we can do. Then find other like-minded and where do you find them? You know, so, um, to to help the organization we are happy to come out and give talks all the time we invite you here if you know a, a group wants to come in and learn about freedom house and asylum you're welcome to come here um and I, and I think the, the different ways of supporting. So are you a business owner in, in the Detroit area? People need jobs. We need to find people employment. Um, are you someone who has, a, a, you know, want to be a mentor? You are a business person and you want to be a mentor. You know, how Consider that. Maybe uh, visiting Freedom House and uh, for an hour a week and, you know, meeting with someone and, and helping them get ready for an employment opportunity in the U.S. that they um And then also just taking collections, talking to everybody, your sororities, your fraternities, the um, workplace. Are you allowed to wear jeans on Friday and take up a collection? The holidays, when we all have so much, and do we all want to keep back and forth, or maybe collectively as a group, a community, a family, say, let's just donate, or be a sustainable donor. We can make a donation uh, at freedomhousedetroit.org and you can become a monthly donor. And if you're mm. fortunate enough to donate monthly at $100 or $1,000, we'd love that. But if you can't do more mm-hmm. than 15 or 10 that's perfect too. Because all of these things go really to direct services. So an asylum seeker, important to note, are not eligible to earn an income. So... For instance, when I worked at COPS or other homeless shelters, those folks can get on Medicaid. They can get some food stamp assistance to help build them up. That's what those resources are for. Well, an asylum seeker is not eligible for any federal or state benefit. So mm. that's one of the falsehoods that we can, you know, people saying, oh, they're taking our money. No, they're not. They're not legally eligible. So how can you help is when we need clothes, you know, send a few, um um gift cards to Target or Kohl's our way or you know if um, we have to they shampoo we need bath soap and things like that we need to run the house we need to piece in addition to paying the utilities and the internet and all the things that keep us going um, we feed the residents and so every dollar that you you donate or someone donates really goes a full circle into the organization directly to the residents so that's one of the aspects I think that people don't understand is that they can't, they don't bring in resources. So everything, if if someone, um, oh, there's so many things, but. um, Well, when someone
3: comes there, you don't, you have no idea how long this process
2: is going to take, do you? So, you know. Well, Yeah, It it averages about uh, nine months to complete the application. So they're here for nine months, and then it takes about another year for employment. So when you add all that up, it's about 18, 20 months before someone can even apply to be legally eligible for work. Now, that's one of the the struggles, right? So Mm -hmm. now they may have submitted their application and been granted asylum, and then they're an asylee, and... That's a different status, and they're able to move into um, employment. They're legally eligible for employment. They, are, they can get a Pell Grant and go to school, so there's many opportunities that way. But until you, you're granted asylum, it's a very hard life here in the United mm-hmm. States. The government itself forces them into, I mean, if we didn't have Freedom House, where would people go? And where do mm-hmm. people go? Many of them become victims of human trafficking. Mm. And like I said, when we first started, before human trafficking had its uh, identity, if you would, um, people, we were granted of. That other subgroup I talked about could have been human trafficking, sex trafficking, or labor trafficking. Mm-hmm. So now, when you have no money, you have nowhere to go, you know no one, and someone comes up with a big work truck and says, hey, dude, listen, I can get you $5,000 in, in a month. All you got to do is come with me. You'll do it you'll do it. Mm -hmm. Or you can say, I'm going to give you $100 a day. I'll do it. They get in the van and we never see them again. Mm -hmm. So that's one of the vulnerabilities. And so by being able to keep people in our house safe, fed, dressed with the needs they have, if they have any um, medical, uh, from the torture to get them to be able to get some resources, all of that is critical for there. And the, the piece about Freedom House that I think people will I want them to know so they'll trust their donation is Freedom House has a 98% success rate of people coming in homeless as an asylum, exiting our program into permanent housing. So that means oh. they, they're employed, they're earning income. And the second piece that I, I'd like to out uh, to people to know is that we have a zero recidivism rate. So that means when people leave our our program, they don't have to go back into any other state-run services because what they have, everything we've given them, ESL classes, economic classes, financial literacy, um, all of the different aspects of volunteering, going into workplaces, see what it's like. Everything we do here is to prepare them for their to departure into permanent housing, right? And we do that, and our successes are there. So it's really um, to know that our volunteers, our staff, exceptional group of people, that that partner with Freedom House, and if people would like to be part of that, want you know, you don't have to go in a plane and get all your tests. You can just come into Southwest Detroit. We have 15 nations right now in the in the house. Mm. So wow, I mean, can you, how how great that is, you know? And um, so I think that's important is that what we do here really does have impact. And then when residents. Um, their families come and we're able to meet them at the airport and greet them. And then when they become citizens, I can't tell you how many nationality, um swearing-in ceremonies I've been to. And I think that's what a lot of us should do is go into a, a naturalization ceremony and hear the oath again. Be reminded what we, you don't want people coming into your country, but listen to the oath they're taking when they become citizens. Because I think a lot of us forgot, I did. I listen to it and I'm like, "Oh jeez, I forgot about that." So, mm-hmm. um, but then they become citizens and you're so proud and I, it, it, I I can't imagine. It it is. It, for me it's like living my family history. I'm their dreams and I feel like all that they did got me here and here I am and now I'm able to welcome others.
3: Wow. Wow, that is just that is just amazing.
2: And, you know, uh, and
3: like you said, and then when you to go someplace and you see somebody who has come through that program and now mm-hmm. here they are living in peace, able to mm-hmm. go re go after their dreams that they thought were gone, you know, and mm-hmm. feeling safe. That is just like that is just like phenomenal. Um, we're coming towards the end of it. I know you, you gave there's the donate page. Um, is that also um, uh, where they can come and say, hey, I want to volunteer? Yes.
2: Also on, so, on their page? Yes. Our website will have all that information. So, again, it's uh, freedomhousedetroit.org. And uh, volunteer or, you know, make a donation. It talks a little bit more. Please take a minute to view all of our Um, the media stories that are up there. But also, uh, if people are on social media, Facebook, um, uh, Twitter, Instagram, Freedom House Detroit is there. And we're actually coming to the end uh, of a social media campaign, but it's our year-end giving. So people could go to Facebook, find us, like us, follow us, and hear us. Updates what's happening, see some photos, but also um, be a major part of our year-end giving, and uh, that would be a great help as we enter the new year, um, welcoming uh, new people. So, again, just they come in all hours of the day or night. No, it's not a a system where people can make an appointment. So um, Mm -hmm. having two new people just walked in the door between yesterday and today, um, so being able to to, um, help us there um, is also... um, a good place to follow us on on those social media. We know that we we
3: need to uh, to educate our community. But you know, do the people who come to Freedom House looking looking for asylum, as they look out and they see all of this this rhetoric and these things that are going home, do they recognize? I mean, they do know that there are good people there who who yeah. who want who want them there that that this is not
2: this is not the America you and I grew up with <laughs> and we believe in I we I think at Freedom House they know that they know that by um, in the many ways that people, again, so generously give. So when, um, you know, a big box of food comes in, you know, there's the, the people who donate, we want them to be right there, and the residents are there to say thank you for this. Without you, we couldn't sustain. I think they do know. They watch too much news. I tell them all, mm-hmm. you know, that CNN is always on. But... Um, but I, I, I think they do and sometimes it worries me how much loved and protected they are by our Freedom House community. So, you know, when they go to a job, you know, oh, this president's going to kick you out, you're going to get, you know, deported and all that nonsense that they hear in the community. Um, but we have to, we've never had to get them ready for that and now we're having mm-hmm. to and that's the sadness. Mm-hmm. We never yeah. had to prepare someone to, you know, meet the enemy and, so, but, um, it's part of growth and, um, but in this case, it, while it still has potential for violence, it's nothing like what they endured back home. hmm So, um, but I, that is the, the sad part about now of having to, to warn them, you know, taking mm-hmm. a public bus or people don't want you speaking another language in public and they may say that to you. And getting angry with them, or you know isn't going to help, so these are some new tools we have to put in your toolbox
3: mhm and that, and then you know what, and that's sad you know, and that's sad you you know really, because um I tell people you know i'm not real fluent on Spanish, but I'm okay with Spanish because as a kid we we would go I had an aunt who in western Michigan, and we met people who were from. Central and South America who came up this way, they were migrant workers. At one point Mm -hmm. in time, my mother worked with people who were from Cuba. And to learn and experience not only the other language, but to hear the love that they have for their country and to learn about that other culture, you know what? It makes you a better person.
2: You know, I think United States is the only nation where you don't have, you don't have to learn a language. Today, Mm -hmm. Somebody told me, somebody asked, I was at a table and someone asked one of the residents how many languages he spoke. Seven. And he named Mm -hmm. them. Mm -hmm. Seven languages. And we're angry because, you know, you. I mean, instead of seeing it as, wow, you know, this is an opportunity for growth, and there is data that shows that, you know, bilingual people are brain stems are different and they're, but yeah, just the thought that knowing another language is something and speaking another language is is to be shamed and ridiculed instead of applauded and supported. Like it's some secret code. I think mean, we're just paranoid of each other. I don't know, but you know, um. it is just, it's,
3: it's, it's, it's so stupid. And you know, and the thing is I've been to other countries and where I felt very welcomed, even though, mm-hmm. you know, even with my, 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 our, my struggling, you know, Spanish, I was in Colombia, and I had a family that had me for dinner and made me feel so welcome. I said, and mm-hmm. here, we're acting, you know, <laughs> yeah. we're acting so, you know, it didn't bother them that I couldn't speak English. I couldn't speak right. Spanish that well. You know, in fact, the grandmother, it was like, she was like my grandmother helping me along. No, no, no.
2: (laughs) And giggling and laughing along the way. That's the other thing is that, you know, when you're learning it, sometimes the the words that come out, we have children in this house growing up and they're learning the languages they're growing up. And a sentence will have English, Spanish, French, maybe a little Portuguese or, you know, some other um, lingala or something like that. And we'll look at the kid and just happily singing a song or whatever, and nobody knows what it is. And somebody, else, well, I heard the French. I heard the <laughs> so know, mm-hmm. These kids, their their first words are long sentences with many many languages. What better way to grow up, you know? I mean, eventually it all will figure it out. But I mean, it's just delightful in it. And it's happened with more than one child, so we know that they just pick up. Um, they they're just safe and loved by that. But. I, I, and you know, some of those languages, if you listen to music, it's so romantic or, or so vibrant. You know, you just um, you miss out a lot when you don't want to include other other cultures and languages. You mm-hmm. Just really miss out on a lot.
3: Mm-hmm. Well, Deb, I want to thank you for taking the time to be here and to talk about Freedom House. Um, I I dream of a time we go back to that time, like with our grandparents, to where people feel welcome, people feel loved. You know, it's so important, you know. Mm-hmm. I agree. All right. Thank you for your time. Um, thank you. Uh, have a, a very happy holiday, however you celebrate it. And, thank you. Um, I look forward to seeing you in the new year.
2: I, I thank you, and IU, and thank you for giving me this time to talk about my well-loved Freedom House. I, I oh, love it, yes. and I love the people here. And mm-hmm. so we will listen and and uh, and continue to spread goodness. So thank you.
1: I want to thank my guest Deb Drennan, the executive director of Freedom House in Detroit. Freedom House is a temporary home for survivors of persecution from around the world seeking asylum in the United States and Canada. Asylum has two basic requirements, that asylum applicants must establish that they fear persecution from the government in their home country, and that applicants must prove that they will be persecuted on account of at least one of five protected grounds. These grounds are race, religion, nationality, political opinion, or particular social groups, including members of LGBTQ community in many countries. The mission of Freedom House is to uphold a fundamental American principle, one inscribed on the base of a Statue of Liberty, providing safety for those yearning to breathe free. Asylum seekers often come to this country with only the clothes on their back. They're unable to work while the case is under review and rely on Freedom House for food, clothing, legal resources, and other support. To learn more or offer support, visit the organization's website at www.freedomhousedetroit.org or visit their Facebook page. Be sure and follow Collections by Michelle Brown Blog Radio on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And let us know if you have a suggestion for a guest or topic for future show. You can listen to this or past episodes of a show on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or Blog Talk Radio. Join us next week when I'll introduce you to another amazing individual living between the lines Standing Boldly in the Crosshairs of Their Intersectionality and Creating Change, right here on Collections by Michelle Brown. Thank you for listening.